Hello everyone, welcome to the Horse Business Podcast. Today I am so honored to have Clay Nelson as our guest. Clay is the owner of Sustainable Stables, a boutique equestrian planning and design firm based in Austin, Texas. Clay has designed equestrian projects across 20 states and counties. In addition to Sustainable Stables, Clay also owns and operates a small environmental consultant firm that focuses on research and development of technologies to clean up toxic metals from soil. Hi, Clay. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doris? Good, good. All right. We just want to learn a little bit more about you and about uh, Sustainable Stables. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how did you uh, first become interested in horses? Sure. So my background is uh, professionally is primarily in environmental chemistry. Um, so after college, uh, I worked for a small civil engineering firm in Southern California doing soils testing, environmental due diligence, things of that nature. And mm -hmm. then in 2006, I went back to graduate school on the East Coast. Uh, I went to Duke University's Nicholas School of the Environment, uh, where I studied environmental chemistry. And after graduate school, I had a 12-year career with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in their uh, research R&D, research and development branch uh, in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, um, where I primarily studied toxic metals and soil. Um, and then a few years ago, moved to Austin, Texas, um, and left my job with the EPA and have been transitioning to running sustainable stables full-time. Uh, as nice, far nice. as how I first became interested in horses, uh, mm -hmm. I'll save the long version for another podcast and another day. <laughs> But the short version is I was trying to impress a girl in graduate school. Uh, she had been a, a horse trainer herself and owned a horse mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's where I first learned to ride, uh, which was great. Um, but what I really connected with was understanding the relationship between horses and humans. Um, one thing that horses have taught me is that we communicate so much uh, to each other without uttering a single word. And for me, that was a very powerful lesson. Uh, that I've taken with me uh, and kind of yeah. kind of created my own love of horses. <laughs> so do you still ride a little bit or not? not I do. Uh, not as much as I used to, but uh, whenever I get the chance, whether that's uh, visiting a client, um, but I do, don't own horses anymore myself. Mm -hmm. I did previously. <laughs> nice, nice. So you said, uh, when when did you start Sustainable Stables? That was in um, a few years ago, right? Yeah, that would have been in 2008. Um, I was just mm -hmm. finishing up grad school. And at the time, uh, sustainability was really becoming a, a hot buzzword. And things like LEAD design, which is short for leadership in energy and environmental design, was really growing in popularity. Um, and I didn't wasn't exactly sure what I was going to be doing with my career at that point. So I had the crazy idea of trying to apply some of these concepts that were become growing in popularity for good reason uh, mm -hmm, to the mm -hmm. equestrian community. Nice. Um, and so at first, Sustainable Stables was simply a informational website that I started where I would blog or write about uh, topics related to sustainability in the environment and how they uh, applied to horse keeping and owning horses and managing, managing the land. Um, and mm -hmm. then people, 
started to reach out to us asking if we could help them with different aspects of the planning and design of their own equestrian pro properties and that's really how sustainable stables came to be what it is today nice yeah that's great i mean it's so important to, do you have any facilities that are uh, lead certified we don't have any that are lead certified um not i is mean there... not not that it can't be done but Mm -hmm. uh, we do work with some professional facilities, but a lot of our projects are just, um, you know, local small hobby farms, farms mm -hmm. small farms mm -hmm. that, that wouldn't right. really apply yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah, so there's, yeah, that interest of, of being lead is not, I mean, it's also um, an, a, a tedious process, right? It's lengthy also. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. We were in, involved with something uh, called SITES, which was basically... Uh, I forget what that acronym stands for, but it was basically lead applied to everything outside of the building. So whereas lead is very focused on the building and what's inside of it, uh, sites mm -hmm. was focused more on everything outside of the building. We participated in their pilot program with the project we were involved with at the time. Um, hmm. And it may still be alive and well, but it certainly never never caught on like lead did. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it's another program like that one, but it's not. There were a know. lot of people involved with LEAD that were involved with sites, um, but it is, a, mm -hmm. it, it is a different different program. Okay. Yeah, because LEAD is managed by a different agency, right? By the, I believe uh, it was the U.S. Green Building Council. U.S. Green Building, one, right. Mm -hmm. Is one of the leaders, if not the leader for that. And they were involved with sites um, to some capacity. Yeah, yeah. So um, what would you do? You were, you were saying that you worked for, for EPA to, for 12 years, right? That was also during grad school or those? Um, that was after grad school. After yep. grad school as well. Oh, okay. So you were working in parallel with Sustainable Savers. Right. So for the first eight to 10 years of Sustainable Stables, it was something that I did uh, outside of my nine to five job. So right. evenings, weekends. Side um, hustle. <laughs> side hustle, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, when I when I moved to Austin in 2019, um, I had to quit. I had to leave the yeah. EPA mm -hmm. job. And so that's really when I became serious about about doing yeah. sustainable stables full time. Nice, nice. So can you tell us uh, uh, about your most recent projects? I know you have some projects in North Carolina, some in Panama. Sure. So um, just a couple. Um, I did just get back a couple of weeks ago from a visit. Uh, on the East Coast to visit some projects. So one of the projects I visited there is called Remington Run. It's a 12 stall boarding facility in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, that's one of the more what I would call traditional uh, projects that we do. Uh, again, this is a boarding facility. So sometimes mm -hmm. our clients come to us not sure of what they want to do. Other times they come to us with a crystal clear vision and we simply help them uh, bring that vision to life. And so Susie, who runs Remington, owns and runs Remington Run, was very much uh, one of the, the latter. So uh, it was a lot of fun working with her and her husband, Annie, on the design of their 12-stall barn and overall property. Nice. Um, another project we're currently actively involved with, uh, just a little bit further south in Clover, South Carolina, Servant's Heart Ranch. Um, and so Clover is, uh, closest big city would be Charlotte. Um, and so Servant's Heart is a nonprofit organization. Uh, it's led by Jeff and Suzanne Yo, 
and they're dedicated to serving the mental health needs of children uh, 8 to 18 through equine mentorship. So it's an amazing ministry that they're running, and we're fortunate to be a small part of it. Um, and again, I was able to visit the property a couple of weeks ago and see their recently constructed horse barn, uh, which was awesome. And this is actually the fourth organization that we've been lucky to be involved with uh, through planning and design services that use horses for therapy for kids. Uh, the others being Hope Reigns in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, Shepherd Youth Ranch in Creedmoor, North Carolina, and Brightside Youth Ranch in York, South Carolina. So all amazing organizations providing a much needed service to help youth who have experienced some, some type of trauma uh, through the healing power of horses, so. Oh, wow, that's great. So how do, how do they find you? I mean, did you have a, a connection there or are they just online search? Uh, so it's uh, a lot of people find us through the website. Uh, we're, you know, we're a pretty niche business. Being a horse barn designer in and of itself is pretty niche. But then when you focus on sustainable right. design, you're a niche within a niche. Uh, so <laughs> we don't get mm -hmm. bombarded with emails all day, every day. But when we do, mm -hmm. uh, it's typically someone who's looking for the specific type of services we provide. And that's kind of how we got started. And then, uh, you know, we do social media, all of those things, but most of our business today comes just through word of mouth. So. Um, right, yeah, you know, when it, you were. It, the, the equestrian community is small enough that everybody talks to everybody. And uh, so, hey, who'd, who, who'd you work with? Oh, we work with Sustainable Stables. They were great, you mm -hmm. should check them out. Hopefully that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. And the project you did in Panama, that was in Panama, Panama City or Panama country, right? Uh, that was, yeah, that was outside of, uh, outside of Panama City. Uh, now I'm trying, is, it's, so it's kind of on the Southern Peninsula of Panama. So it was about a mm. four to five hour drive uh, west, southwest of Panama City. So that was one of those, uh, to be honest, pinch yourself projects. Like I can't believe we're getting to do this. Mm -hmm. um, nice. It was pr pretty amazing. Yeah, it was a uh, beautiful property uh, along the Pacific Ocean. So uh, wow. got, to, got to go visit a couple times in person. Um, cool. Worked primarily with the architects. Awesome, awesome, awesome husband and wife team. IMKM Design. It's the architectural firms, but uh, mm -hmm. got to go there twice. You know, it's a pretty cool job when when you're working and your work involves getting on a horse and riding along the beach and then into the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. That's pretty cool. So that was that was also um, another design project design that you guys did then. Yeah, sometimes we're hired by clients themselves, and. Uh, Oftentimes we're hired by architects who are working oh. on a project, but might not have equestrian expertise. Um, and so the funny story there is um, I came up with the name Sustainable Stables and my someone that worked with me at the time kind of pushed against it. And uh, a couple of years later, when we found out how we were selected for that project, um, the architects were saying, we need a stable consultant, but we don't want just any stable consultant. We want a sustainable, stable consultant. So they wow. Googled sustainable, stable. And guess who popped up first? And they said, ah, it was meant to be. Nice. The rest, the rest is history. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> so yep, a good name can important. go a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. So uh, I know you, you help people also like before purchasing a, a property before purchasing a farm. So what are some of those uh, most important things that, to consider before uh, doing that? 
Sure. Yeah, we do offer pre-purchase consultations. Uh, I think it's one of the most valuable services we provide, um, but one that I wish people would utilize more. Um, mm -hmm. Just because, uh, you know, finding the right equestrian property is not as easy as one might think. So what are the things that we look for? Um, I mean, related to the land itself, uh, soils and topography are two of the most important things. Um, so for soils, um, that could be anything from, are the soils suitable for development, uh, whether that's your house or your barn? Uh, are they good for pasture? Is it going to be easier or more difficult to grow grass? And then the perhaps the biggest one is mud. Mud is such a common issue on horse properties and such a challenge. And soils differ in their propensity for mud. And a lot of times when a client's buying land, whether it's raw land or old farmland, uh, and then bringing in horses, um, just the nature of horses and horse keeping and the fact that most of us uh, don't have the budget to buy as much land as we would ideally want for the number of horses we have. Um, <laughs> mud is is a is a is a common problem and might not be there when you're buying the land but after you've been using right. it for three or four or five years you realize it's turning into a muddy mess and some of that's mm -hmm. based on management but some of that's the propensity of the land itself uh to, to how likely it is it to become muddy over time so mm -hmm. uh with topography um people don't appreciate even if you're especially if you're wanting to do something like uh, an arena even if it's a simple outdoor arena that you consider small, uh, it's hard to visualize how much grading is needed to create that flat arena surface um, relative to land that might just looking at it in person, look and feel like it's flat enough. But when you actually get into the nuts and bolts of grading it, you realize, holy cow, my 120 foot long arena has seven feet of elevation change from the high point mm -hmm. to the low point. So wow. um, there are properties that are much more suited to doing that and properties that aren't. So that's another thing we look at. And then of course, uh, local rules, regulations, uh, how e uh, you know, what type of permitting is needed for the property. And is that something that's going to be relatively easy uh, or fairly challenging. So for example, we're working on a project right now in the Bay Area of California, um, where um, just getting through the permitting and planning process, you know, is uh, a year long effort uh, where mm. the client's having to spend tens of thousands of dollars to engineers, wow. et cetera, just to get, just to get a uh, permit Permitted. approval. Yep. Hmm. And is this with the state or the city or both? <laughs> Uh, typically, it's with the local municipalities or the city or the county. Um, right. So sometimes, they're... sometimes state regulations do become involved, uh, but yeah. that's that's typically not the main driver. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if they are on like a wetland space or something, that maybe the um, state environmental agency also gets involved, right? That's correct. And so we we were involved with that in North Carolina, um, where this gets a little complicated, but uh, the state has what's called critical water supply watersheds. So these are mm. watersheds where you might have reservoirs that are providing the drinking water to large cities within that state. So those are water bodies that uh, are of you know, particular importance and, and particularly important to protect the quality of that water. 
So they'll, the state will come in and implement rules specific to any properties um, within that watershed. And so that could be development of neighborhoods, development of commercial buildings, but it oftentimes includes uh, agriculture as well and specific rules for traditional livestock and horses. So in North Carolina, they're mm -hmm. developing rules in a couple of those watersheds at the state level, saying that if you're in here and you have five or more horses, you have to do certain things that you, new rules and regulations. So for example, mm -hmm. you'd have to fence your horses out of any streams uh, on your property. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know um, a, a lot of the manure also cannot, I mean, especially in Florida, there's a lot of um, underwater, underground water, groundwater, yep. so they don't want yep. it to be polluted and things like that. And Florida is much like where I am in Texas, which is a lot of limestone. And so mm. that water actually moves, limestone is very porous, so that water mm -hmm. moves through it very quickly. Uh, so it's more easily takes up any contaminants from the surface and brings it into the groundwater. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there there's some regulations here too for that. Right. So uh, what is that uh, soil soil testing so important for uh, host horse pasture? I mean, what is it there to consider uh, regarding the soil testing? Uh, so for a number of reasons, uh, one of obviously uh, if you want to grow a healthy stand of grasses, um, having soils that uh, have the right amount of nutrients in them is. Mm -hmm critically important. So uh, only way to know that is to test the soils. Um, that does get into some topics that I have some interest in. Interest in. Um, hmm. There's kind of a paradigm shift happening with soils testing, where historically it's been very much focused on the chemistry of the soils. Uh, mm -hmm. And while that's an important aspect um, that has led to use of a lot of synthetic um, synthetic-based fertilizers being applied to the land, um, which have certainly have benefits, but they have environmental costs as well. And so we're beginning to understand much more that it's not just the chemistry, but the biology of the soil is also really, really important. And in fact, maybe even more important than the chemistry of the soil. So this isn't something that's really becoming uh, popular or commonly discussed for horse mm -hmm. properties, but it is becoming much more commonly discussed with traditional farming. Uh, so regenerative agriculture um, mm -hmm. very much uh, is focused on more sustainable, more environmentally friendly uh, soil health management. So they're doing things like integrating livestock with crop production and doing very, very heavy rotational grazing where they might be moving their herds of cattle uh, every day through mm. 30 pastures. So rotational wow. grazing is a concept that uh, is most horse property owners are familiar with that term, or at least have some yeah. idea what that means. And mm -hmm. it's a great practice, but uh, you know, these regenerative ag folks are doing that at, a, at an even more intense level. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, horses are excuse me grasses have co-evolved with grazers over history and so there is a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship so in the u.s the classic example is those huge herds of bison that roamed and would come you know in these massive herds come through the land kind of tear up almost like they're naturally tilling the soil but it's slightly different than tilling they're 
grazing heavily, they're dropping their dung, and then they're moving on. And so that's what you're trying to kind of recreate with rotational grazing, uh, where it's sh short periods of intense grazing and then long periods of rest. And doing so is, the reason it's so good for the pasture is it's so good for the biology of the uh, microbes, you know, the uh, mycorrhizal fungi or fungi, for mm. example, those things that have are actually bringing the nutrients from the soil to the grasses. Wow, yeah, so, yeah. It's, so it's definitely important to have both the chemistry and the biology. Yeah, and, and we can do some of those practices through good manure management. And the best thing to do is composting. Um, so you're not mm. just providing nutrients to the soil, but you're providing organic matter and, and carbon back into the soil. And uh, the, the nutrients like the nitrogen and phosphorus are food for the grasses, but uh, the carbon is food for the microbes that, uh, mm. That again that are, are live there. <laughs> yep, that live there and are bringing nutrients from the soil into the grasses. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, so, it's good. I mean, even if they don't, if they don't compost it, but they spread the manure, will that work kind of the same, or is better if it is already um, composted? It's always better to compost. Um, mm -hmm. If you're spreading raw manure, uh, there are benefits to that, but there are a few more risks that you have to be worried about. And the, uh, one of the main ones for horses is is there's parasites in the manure uh, that you mm. may not want to be spreading back into pasture. Um, so, you know, you can be increasing warm, warm burden in horses if you're spreading raw manure. Yeah. Um, also the form of the nutrients in raw manure, they're not as stable. Uh, so nitrogen, for example, in raw manure, uh, it might off gas into the atmosphere versus getting into the soil. It might, uh, wash away in the next rainfall and get into mm -hmm. the water where you don't want it and not into the soil. Right. So composting both kills worms and pathogens due to the heat generated during mm -hmm. the compost pro composting process. And it also converts the nutrients that are in the manure to a more stable form. And by stable, I mean, it sticks around where you want it and goes where you want it to go or more mm -hmm. of it does than just spreading raw manure does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have you have also um, a relationship with a composting uh, company, composting group, right? Yeah, and the re relationship is pretty much we love what they do and believe in their products, so we refer our clients to them. So that's O2 Compost. Uh, they're out okay. of Washington. Uh, they've they've been around for a long time, and they've uh, developed what's called a excuse me what's called a forced aeration uh, composting system, and so. Mm. In order to turn manure into compost, there are certain things that you need to create. You need to create the right environment for those microbes that do the composting to thrive. Mm -hmm. So the big things are oxygen, the right, the right amount of oxygen, because this is aerobic composting that you're trying to produce, and the right amount of water, so not too wet, not too dry. Uh, so for air, typically what you do if you're doing active composting is you have to turn the piles periodically. Um, and I haven't met many horse farm owners that got into horses because they love getting on a tractor and turning piles of manure over. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's true. Yeah. So what uh, this what this technology does uh, is, is to blow forced air into the piles. Um, and not only does it just get air into there, into the piles, but it does so optimally. And that reduces or eliminates the need to turn the piles. So um, it 
makes it easier for someone who isn't an expert in composting to mm -hmm. get the right product. And it's easier in, in terms of less work, which is obviously very attractive to most horse owners. Yeah, so they just set it in there and, and they don't have to think more about it then? Just kind of like that? Well, they have to think less about it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to say you don't have to think anything about it, but uh, you don't have to forget if, it. Yeah, and and not only are you buying O2 composts design and the aeration components, but you're also getting getting their technical support. So they will mm -hmm. hold your hand throughout the entire process. So as long as you're willing to do a little bit of work and much less mm -hmm. than if you're doing it yourself, uh, right? You're set up yeah. for success. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And do you all? Do, I see you also have um, other eco-friendly, um, stable products that that you offer and recommend, right? That's true. Yeah. Uh, so we work with a handful of companies um, that provide various products for the equestrian market. Um, one of one of those companies that we work very closely with is a company called Han Plastics. Um, mm -hmm. So they make over two thousand products, um, not all of which would be. Uh, used on a horse property, but some of them are. And so every single one of their products is made from 100% recycled plastic. Uh, and so they've got a line of products that they market towards the equestrian community. Um, these are th a lot of mud management solutions. So they've got what's called a mud control grid or a paddock slab. Um, mm -hmm. So these are uh, for use in, in surfaced dry lots or heavy use areas around gates, feeders, waters, et cetera. I'll also use them as the base for stalls in our designs um, and arena edging. So instead of using like a treated lumber board or, or something like that for edging for an arena or a dry lot, you can use their uh, recycled plastic boards. And uh, they also make tongue and groove uh, that can be used in stalls. And so mm. the advantages of that are, A, it's taking from an environmental standpoint, it's taking plastic that destined for a landfill and and reusing it mm -hmm. um, but also has the benefits of um, unlike wood horses don't tend to chew it it never rots so mm. it can be you can be as wet as you want it to be and nothing's going to happen it doesn't splinter like wood does um, so it does and it also doesn't absorb any water or any fluids. And so from a biosafety standpoint, um, that's attractive as well. It's much easier to clean and keep a sanitary facility. So for things like vet facilities um, or et cetera, it's, it's a really uh, good solution. That's great, yeah. Yeah, and especially it's good that it also is made out of, like, it's 100% recycled, right, uh, material? Yes, yeah, it's 100% recycled plastic. Yeah. Great, great. So what are what are those uh, phases um, that you mentioned of, of property planning and design? I mean, what 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 is the your clients go through different phases, right? Yeah. So for a typical project for us, um, we do generally divide our work into phases. Uh, starts with just what I call the information gathering phase. So uh, that's where we're learning more about your wishes and wants and vision for the property. But we're also doing our own reconnaissance. Uh, learning more about the soils and the topography, things we talked about earlier, um, mm -hmm. permitting needs, uh, et cetera. And so then we'll transition to the developing the master plan. So what's going to go where on the property? Um, 
And that's more, you know, and that's a very important process. And once we've developed a master plan, then we get more into the nuts and bolts of the design. Um, so we're taking a 2D plan and basically designing the 3D components of that is how I like to think of it. Um, and that's everyone's probably favorite part of the overall uh, project. And then mm -hmm. once that's done, uh, we kind of take a step back and just help them bring that design to life. And so in whatever role that is, so whether they're working with a builder who maybe doesn't have as much experience building horse barns, uh, we'll advise them, um, you know, how to install the stalls, where to procure stalls and other finish out, et cetera. Um, and in some cases, we'll, we will actually help our clients with procuring, procuring those things like the stalls and lighting and footing and all of, all of those things that uh, are needed to design and build a, a horse barn. Nice. Yeah. So it's all the process then. Correct. That's good. That's good. That's good. So uh, what do you find to be the most rewarding aspect of, of owning sustainable, sustainable stables? Um, so gener generally speaking, uh, for all projects, most of our clients come to us and this is a lifelong dream for them to have their own horse property. And so just getting to be involved with helping someone bring their lifelong dream to life is incredibly rewarding. Um, and then on top of that, getting the opportunity to, to work with organizations like Servants Heart Ranch and Hope Reigns and Brightside Youth Ranch that are using horses to provide a valuable service to the community. Uh, that's incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Um, so those are two that come to mind. And just owning a business uh, is very challenging, but very rewarding. So whether that's in the equestrian industry or, or somewhere else, and whether that's your full-time nine to five job or just a side hustle like we talked about, uh, I'd encourage yeah. anyone to explore doing that because it's, it's, it's challenging, but very rewarding. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and you're doing it in something also related to what, what you study too. Correct. Because you're incorporating also some of those um, soil testing things. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between uh, soil chemistry and civil engineering, especially when you're doing a lot of environmental work right. and, yeah, yeah. and designing an equestrian property. So do you have uh, some, some goals for the rest of the year? The year? I mean, what are your uh, main goals? So um, sustainable stables is very much a slow and steady growth um, model. You know, we're not trying to be on Shark Tank next week and get a million dollars of investing to turn to create a billion dollar company in two years. Uh, yeah. So one of our goals is always just do a little bit better than we this year than we did last year. Uh, yeah. But one of the things we're working on this year uh, and a goal that I uh, that we're already on our way to achieving uh, is we're working on designing a new line of of like pre-designed horse barns um, that are a little bit different than your typical horse barn that you would see today. Um, so the basic idea there is, I don't see myself as much as of a barn designer per se, as I think of myself as an overall property or overall facility designer, with the mm -hmm. barn being one aspect of a well-designed horse property. Um, so this is a personal opinion, but I think in our industry, we tend to put too much focus on the barn both from a design standpoint, as well as from a financial or a budget standpoint. Um, mm. Most of us have 
limited income. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Um, <laughs> and so you're trying to do the best with what you have. And there are a lot of aspects beyond just the horse barn that warrant not just design attention, but uh, a priority of your budget that I think are critical. And so kind of taking that back to the concept of, of the horse barn, um, and this isn't for everyone, but for a lot of our clients, it's a good fit where mm -hmm. we're trying to create, um, we're thinking about designing horse barns, not so much in the traditional model where every horse has a 12 by 12 stall. So for example, we're designing a barn right now in Texas for 10 horses and we have four stalls. Um, and so those stalls are used if there's a, are meant to be used if there's an injury um, or a horse needs to be quarantined or kept out of the herd, or if you're bringing a new horse in and want to have time to integrate them safely into the herd. Um, mm -hmm. And then the rest of the horses are gonna be kept in the barn, but they don't have their own stall. It's more of a larger dry lot or all weather um, turnout area that we're using the barn almost like a run and shed. Um, so I like to think of this concept as uh, a traditional barn and a run and shed had a baby. What, what, what would that look like? <laughs> and that's what we're kind of creating. And so yeah. the, the reasons for that are um, less is more and less costs more. And by being more efficient in materials, you can use those cost savings to either spend less money or you can then afford to make some choices about some higher end finishes to make a very nice looking barn like the ones that you see in the magazines. Um, <laughs> but also this enables the barn des as designed to better integrate with the rest of the property. So we really liked to design barns where the stalls or these you know group run-ins or et cetera, um, integrate with larger dry lots which connect to pastures uh, and you know, that's a maybe a whole nother conversation for another podcast but uh, <laughs> if you want to learn more about it there's a there's a concept called the equicentral system uh, it was developed by a husband and wife team uh, over in Europe uh, their company is called uh, equiculture and it's basically an idea of how do we get horses to live a more natural lifestyle, get much more movement, which is so critical to their horse health and well-being, um, without you having to take a horse out of the stall, put it out in the pasture, bring it back and forth. You kind of design your facility so that they can do that themselves. And we talked a little bit about rotational grazing. So instead of having to go move all the horses from one pasture to another, you just go close one gate and open the next, and you've rotated your horses between pastures. So it's very chore efficient too. Yeah, yeah, it's a good concept then. So we've got a couple of projects that are underway that uh, are- Are you seeing that? Yeah, conceptually, uh, it's kind of a soft launch where I still think of this as we're in the R&D phase of this idea. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, any, if, if anyone out there listening is interested in this idea, uh, I would encourage them to reach out because we are, are offering some incentives for early adopters. Of oh, it. nice. Nice. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Because I mean, yeah, if, if they want to do it, then it's good to have those early ad beta testers then. Exactly. <laughs> 
So do you have any strategies or do you use any particular tools to, to manage your business operations? Uh, certainly. I mean, I'm, we're a small business, two-person team. Um, right. So you know, one of the challenges of running a small business is not only do I have to know about horse barn uh, and horse facility design, but I have to also have to know about taxes and <laughs> websites accounting. and accounting and all of that stuff. So uh, for me, that's fun because it's uh, I like learning new stuff and uh, being, running a small business, you have to learn new things all the time uh, right. to survive. So uh, some of the software that we've tried and have stuck with us are for project management. We use Asana, if you're familiar okay. yeah, with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. part of the reason for that is because uh, their free version is very good and meets <laughs> our needs. Um, so for it's those very user-friendly too. It is very user-friendly. So for those of you that don't know, it's ASANA and it's a project management software. Um, mm -hmm. So you can create projects and within hierarchies and create tasks for people and assign them and say, you know, Ross, who works with me, Ross, I need you to do this today. And then you can set deadlines, create calendars, all of that good stuff. That's been very helpful from a project management standpoint. Um, and then obviously from bookkeeping standpoint, uh, I use QuickBooks like most mm -hmm. people do. Um, yeah, yeah. And we rely a lot on Dropbox as well for sharing, file sharing. On the cloud. Yeah, yep. So those, you know, especially a lot of our design renderings are very, very big files. So um, mm. we, we do. A lot of file transferring there. Too, a lot of file transferring Dropbox. of large files. So Dropbox works well for that. That's great, yeah. So in your opinion, what are some of those uh, great challenges that horse-related horse businesses, uh, stable owners are, are facing? Yeah, so from a business standpoint, um, one of the biggest challenges running a horse business is purely from a business standpoint, the ROI is, is, is not very attractive. Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, the, the, the joke that most people have probably heard is how do you make a small fortune in the horse business? And the, <laughs> the answer is you start with a large fortune. Um, yep. <laughs> so it's true. very much a labor of love. So, you know, people do it not because, uh, again, it, it, if you do it well, you can make money and you can be successful. Um, yeah. But no one's going to pick it because it has the highest return on investment of any business opportunity out there. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and, you know, the challenges are keeping up with costs. Uh, and we don't get as much involved with the business operation side of things as some organizations do. So most of what I'm saying is purely observational from being involved in the, in the uh, equestrian uh, world. But, uh, you know, I my understanding is that farriers and vets are getting harder and harder to find. There's few of them out there, you know, managing your costs, things that you don't have control over cost of hay mm -hmm. and the availability of hay. So mm -hmm. certainly uh, to do it well and to do it successfully, you have to have a lot of attention to detail in managing your budget. Um, so that's a, that's a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then so probably the other challenge is just being good at dealing with uh, any, any and all type of personalities out there that you can imagine. So, you know, most businesses are involved with not just the horses, but the owners of those horses in some capacity. <laughs> and uh, so you have to be a good people person. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good people person, good communicator also. Absolutely. 
So do you have any ideas or suggestions on how equestrians, uh, horse business owners can embrace environmental sustainability? I know it's part of your business as well, so. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I think for some people, um, it just comes naturally. They think of themselves as not just the owner of the land for themselves and their horses, but as the stewards of the land that they own for all the plants and animals and wildlife that call your horse farm home. Um, and then, so for those, it's just, you know, being a part of good education and outreach. So, uh, you know, it's a monumental task that I can be a small part of. So, uh, you know, for me, it's uh, trying to do things like in my business, not just focus on, okay, how can I get the next client to get more money, but how can I uh, teach the equestrian world about the, the <laughs> concepts that, I, that I'm a fan of and that I believe in? Um, and that's mutually beneficial because not only am I hopefully providing a service to the community, equestrian community, but I'm also learning myself and becoming a better right. expert in whatever subject it is. And that's actually, it's getting a little bit off the, off the question at hand, but um, no, it's fine. That's tangent's great. fine. That's actually how I started Sustainable Stables. Was mm. you know, in 2008, uh, I would have not felt comfortable calling myself an expert, and certainly not enough of an expert to feel comfortable taking people's money to, to be <laughs> a consultant for them. Um, so, but it's something that I was interested and in, wanted to do. So, how did I grow Sustainable Stables? Well. Uh, picked a topic that I was interested in, could be some aspect of barn design or pasture management or arena design, uh, researched it. Google is a wonderful thing. Um, <laughs> we live in the information age, so information is not hard to come by. Uh, <laughs> then wrote a couple blogs about those topics. And then once I'd written some blogs, convinced some you know, equestrian magazines uh, that I was <laughs> enough of an expert to write an article in their magazine or maybe speak about it at a horse expo and then once you've done that well you're the author of the of the article you're the speaker now you are the expert but <laughs> because you are like you really have learned enough about the topic uh, at least for me that not only did people take me at my word that I knew what I was talking about but I really did feel right. myself that I knew what I was talking about so I did <laughs> that enough times um, to where I was did truly feel comfortable uh, being the expert, <laughs> being the expert and, and, and doing this for a living. Um, right. That being said, every single project, uh, I think that's probably true for every single project. There's been at least one question from the client where the answer, the truthful answer I give them is, that's a great question. And I have no <laughs> idea what the answer is, <laughs> but I'm going to figure it out for you. And so, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's great to have that transparency. You know, yeah, absolutely. Honest. So Again, one of my one of my favorite business quotes, um, and I don't know who said it. I just heard it in a podcast on entrepreneurship as I was driving to a client's project one day. Um, <laughs> was again someone who was very successful in business saying, "If I only did things in business that I was qualified for, I'd still be doing today what I was doing when I was 18, which was pushing a broom as a janitor." Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Doesn't mean yeah, you fake it true. until you make it or or represent yourself as something you're not, but don't let right. the, don't let the idea that, well, I'm not qualified to do this today be a, a wall or a hurdle from you 
taking those steps to get to that point. Yeah. Yes. That's that's definitely true for sure. So yeah, I mean, it's part of my my next question. Kind of like, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to start their own business that are kind of like in the same um, stage that you were like ten years ago when you first started? So sure. Um, so obviously, uh, the the little anecdote I just said about right, uh, yeah, <laughs> it goes into that. But for me, I mean, it was funny. This looking back. Um, when I first started Sustainable Stables, um, I had written out an email to someone that I wanted, was thinking about bringing on as a partner when I was first, the genesis of the idea was still kind of spinning around in my head. Um, wrote an article, uh, email about everything that I thought we needed to do. So we needed to get a website and a domain and come up with a name, et cetera. And then before I hit send, I said, well, Talk is cheap, action's what's important. I didn't send the email. And then over the course of 40 hour, 48 hours, I literally did everything that I had listed out in that email and then sent a <laughs> new email saying, um, we have a website, we have a company name, it's called Sustainable Stables, let's do this. And so that just taught me, um, again, the importance of action and you right. need to do the proper due diligence uh, to give important decisions, the time and thought that they deserve. But for people in business, I think more often than not, they'll say the difference was I, I took a little bit of a risk and turned an idea into an action. And so um, just kind of having that mentality and, and the willingness to do that. And, but also in a way, again, we talk, I talked earlier about sustainable stables business model is slow and steady growth. So I didn't mm -hmm. go up to a bank and say, loan me $500,000 mm -hmm. at 10% interest for me to start this venture. Um, now, it took me a good 10 or 12 years to get to a point where I felt like this was something that I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. And it was a side mm -hmm. hustle for a long time. And so, right. um, you know, for me, that's what made sense. It may, may or may not, that same model of growth may or may not, may or may not make sense for everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm uh where yeah thank you so much yeah that's a that's a super great advice uh, for people that are just starting out just i mean it's different different levels also of, of starting a business you can start with a large amount of of money large amount of of dollars to grow it or you can just do it little by little yep. steady slow and steady as you were saying that's great so where where can I, our listeners find more information about you i mean you know you said they can reach out to you if they have any questions or if they are ready to to build their stable sure yeah so the easiest way is just to find us through our website it's uh, www.sustainablestables with an s.com uh, and we've got a contact form on there gonna... yep or you can all just right. shoot me an email directly at clay at sustainablestables.com all right clay thank you so much for for joining us today this this has been great it has been a lot of information that that we have share today and we have talked about so thanks a lot for your time we really appreciate it absolutely thanks for thanks for having me on doris appreciate it no problem have a great day right, you too. thank you so much for listening to our podcast today we hope you enjoy it please remember to follow us subscribe and leave us a review if you are interested in joining us as a guest or sponsor one of our episodes feel free to email us at the horse business podcast at gmail.com. 
And if you're looking for ways to make your horse operation more sustainable and environmentally friendly, you can reach out to us at horsebusinessmanagement at gmail.com or check out our website at www.horsebusinessmanagement.com and follow us on Instagram to get the latest updates. Goodbye.